we're going to do a series of study in 1 Corinthians. So we're going to take time just to go through chapter by chapter and uh, just explore the word of God together. So if you, uh, I hope you brought your Bible because we're not going to be projecting all the verses on the screen. So either you can take out your phone or your, uh, your Bible and just follow along in 1 Corinthians if you well, please go to First Corinthians. And today, we will cover just chapter 1. We intended to cover two chapters, but um, because of the introduction, time for the introduction as well. So we'll just probably do chapter 1. Then we will pick up uh, next Sunday and continue. So First Corinthians. We'll begin just by giving a little background to the city of Corinth itself. So if you look at the map, Google map today, today as well. Uh, you'll find Corinth right there in Greece, about 40 to 50 miles west of Athens. It was a, Corinth is a port city. So just historically, uh, Corinth is an ancient city many hundreds of years um, before Paul actually came there to minister. Uh, went through several, you know, destructions and uh, somewhere around 44 B.C., Julius Caesar uh, had it established as a colony for veterans uh, back in 44 BC. In around 27 BC, uh, under, the, uh, um, under the Roman Empire, Corinth was established as the capital of the district of Achaia. So you know, when you read the New Testament, uh, you'll find references to Achaia. Achaia is the district in which Corinth was uh, the capital of. Uh, and so uh, this city of Corinth eventually uh, came to be noted for, uh, came to be noted as a place of vice, indulgence, immorality, uh, pleasure. It was, it was a sin city of its time, uh, a city of commercialized love, and uh, uh, I'm just sharing some facts with you. Don't get upset with me for this, but <laughs> a Corinthian girl just meant a prostitute. So that was the kind of the nature of the city. And at Paul's time, when Paul came to minister there uh, in Corinth, uh, at that time, uh, Corinth was a booming commercial city as well. It had two ports, uh, two harbors. Uh, so it was doing very well as a commercial center as well. So uh, we need to keep this in mind as we go through First Corinthians because some of the problems that are dealt with, it, of course, come from the kind of background uh, uh, the, the believers uh, came from. Uh, there were many Greek gods that were worshipped there in Corinth. Uh, two of the prominent gods were, uh, the Greek gods was, uh, were Apollo and uh, Aphrodite. So we had, we had the temple of Apollo, uh, the Greek god who was associated with many things, including sun, light, knowledge, medicine, uh, plague, music, poetry, art, uh, oracles, and all of that uh, was the uh, Apollo, the Greek god. Uh, in the lower part of the city of Corinth, we had the temple of Apollo that was had 38 columns the picture you have there shows that there are only seven of them are left standing today. Um, 
a Greek city that was fortified was called Acropolis. Uh, and it usually was the high part, uh, an elevated part, maybe on top of a hill, uh, that uh, you know, they, they had this Acropolis. They had a, a fortified part of the city. Now, in Corinth, the Acropolis was called uh, Acrocorinth, and that was the place where the temple of the Greek goddess Aphrodite was uh, located. And you see a little picture of that there. So this was a Greek goddess, uh, the goddess of love, uh, what was uh, uh, oftenly, uh, or, and it's not verified, but it was oftenly reported that there were about a thousand male and female prostitutes serving in the temple of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Um, so we know Paul comes to minister in such a city. Now in Corinth, another just, just an interesting uh, piece of information, the marketplace was called the Agora. So it was a huge uh, place where we have, there were different people who came in and sold their wares. Now when Paul and his team were in Corinth, they also worked. They also made tents. So that's where we get the idea of being Christian tent makers. So it's very likely that Paul and his team spent a lot of time in the Agora, in the marketplace, in a building like this. Uh, they made their tents or leather products and sold them. It gave them an opportunity to interact with lots of other people who came into the same building, the Agora, the marketplace, to sell their wares and others who came to shop there. So uh, that was that was part of the way that Paul did his ministry. Uh, Paul and his team did ministry while they were in Corinth. So it was around 80, again, these dates are approximate around 80, 49 to 80, 52, uh, that Paul on a second missionary journey came to Corinth. Uh, he, he spent about 18 months there. Uh, very interestingly, around the same time, uh, the Emperor Claudius in Rome had uh, expelled all Jews. So all Jews had to leave Rome temporarily at that time. And there were two Jewish believers, Aquila and Priscilla, who left Rome and landed up in Corinth. And again, this is the hand of God. They got connected with Paul and became part of Paul's church planting team in Corinth. Um, the other members of Paul's team was Silas, uh, who came from the church in Jerusalem. There was Timothy, a young man that Paul was uh, training up. Uh, and there was also Luke, uh, the physician, who was recording everything that was happening there at Corinth. So this was a six-member team, people whose names we know, they could have been others as well. And they spent about 18 months in Corinth planting the church. And so uh, they, they saw good success. Uh, there were people from the, the Jewish leaders in the synagogue uh, who also uh, got saved. A man named Sosthenes who was the chief ruler of the synagogue. He also got saved. Uh, uh, but again, they faced opposition. They were expelled from the synagogue. So they went on uh, to another location and continued the work and planted a church. Uh, so after spending 18 months, uh, Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla left Corinth. They went over to Ephesus. Uh, Paul spent a little bit of time in Ephesus. He left Aquila and Priscilla at Ephesus and he proceeded on to Jerusalem. Now, while Aquila and Priscilla were at Ephesus, there was a believer named Apollos who came from Alexandria, Alexandria in Egypt. He happened to pass through Ephesus, and he got connected with Aquila and Priscilla. Are you all still following me, or you, you lost somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in Corinth, or still somewhere in, you know, 
Lost at sea, okay. <laughs> Alright. So, Apollos was a man, a believer, Jewish believer from Alexandria in Egypt. He happened to come to Ephesus. He meets up with Aquila and Priscilla. And uh, uh, he was a, a great orator, very eloquent speaker, and, a, and you know, a great person. Um, and he was strong in the Lord. Now, Aquila and Priscilla update him, meaning uh, he knew things uh, uh, only uh, up to the baptism of John. So that, that means he didn't know things uh, from the day of Pentecost onwards. And so his, his knowledge of the Lord was limited till you know, okay, the Lord Jesus baptizes you in water and so on. Uh, so they, uh, they updated him, talked to him about the work of the Spirit and so on. And then uh, Apollos was inclined to go into Achaia, the district of Achaia. So they sent him off to Corinth. And he comes and he ministers in Corinth, really blesses the church there in Corinth. And you read about this in Acts 18. You'll see it up on your screen. I'll just read a few verses there, just about Apollos. It says, a certain Jew named Apollos, born of, this is Acts 18, 24 to 28, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, Though he knew only the baptism of John. So uh, he knew only about water baptism. He didn't know about the work of the Spirit yet. Verse 26. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of, the, way of God more accurately. And then he decided to cross over to Achaia. The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So Apollos served the people at Achaia, which included the city of Corinth. So um, during his third missionary journey, which was between 83 to 8058, it was a latter part of that. Paul, in his third mission journey, spent three years in Ephesians, and he spent a lot of time writing letters and uh, discipling uh, young, the younger generation. So from there, in Ephesians, around AD 58, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. So if the Corinthian church, again, these are approximate dates, if the first Corinthian ch the church in Corinth was established on his first missionary trip around AD 51, it was about seven years later that he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. So the church in Corinth is approximately seven years old. You all with me so far? So he's writing this letter now to Corinth and uh, uh, in a sense this letter to the people, most likely to people who've come from Corinth, they take it back uh, to be read there in Corinth. So with this brief background, we will go into the first chapter, First Corinthians. Uh, I've broken this, uh, uh, this chapter into five sections. Uh, bits, uh, you know, sections of scripture. So we'll just look at that section, then I'll make comments, we'll draw insights and move on to the next section. So to begin with, the first section, which is just the salutation, the first three verses. Uh, these verses will not come up on the screen, so I encourage you to please look at it in your Bible or on your phone, uh, and uh, then we will make comments on it. So this is how Paul begins his epistle or letter to the Corinthian church, seven, approximately seven years later after he had established the church there. He's writing to them. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Sosthenes was the chief ruler of the synagogue who became a believer. So now he is with Paul. So he's joined Paul's team. He's with Paul and he's, you know, Paul is acknowledging his presence with him. 
to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. just want to make a few comments here. Looking at verse 1, Paul recognizes that he's been called to be an apostle. Now each one of us are called to different things. Whether you're called to be an apostle, a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, or a businessman, or a lawyer, or an educator, whatever you're called, you're called, God has called you to something. So Paul recognizes he's called to be an apostle. Paul called to be an apostle through the will of God. And here's the insight I see here that your calling is the will of God. So say this with me. My calling is the will of God. You know, so if you are fulfilling your calling, you are fulfilling the will of? Some of us get so, uh, you know, like so concerned. Am I doing the will of God? Well, if you are fulfilling what you've been called to do, you are fulfilling the will of God. You with me? It's there in verse 1. Right? Paul called to be an apostle according to the will of God. Your calling is an expression of God's will for your life. Fulfill your calling, you're fulfilling God's will for you. And very interesting in verse 2, he, he refers to the church of God which is at Corinth. Now look at the contrast. Corinth, a sin city. In that city, there is the church of God. Church means people who have been called out. So there are the people of God in Corinth, in the sin city. Thank God they're there. Because you're there to be salt and light. Amen? And the church is there to influence the city. To make a difference in the city. And it doesn't matter if it's Corinth or if it's Bangalore or any other city. The church of God. God's people are there to have influence and impact on the city. And then he, look at how he refers to God's people. He says, you know, how he refers to believers. He's referring to believers, you and me like this. He says, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Sanctified means to be set apart. You're consecrated. Say, I am consecrated. I've been set apart. So he says, believers, you are sanctified in Christ. You've been called as saints. So tell your neighbor, hello, saints. I can use their name, Saint Matthew, Saint Anand, <laughs> whatever. You know, call, you're called saints. Saint is a consecrated person, is a holy person. Somebody is holy unto God. So believers are sanctified, and therefore, as believers, we are saints. All of us, we are. So see yourself as a holy person, as a sanctified person. Somebody set apart unto God. That's who you are. He says, uh, called to be saints. And notice he goes on to say, with all, this is verse 2, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and there. So this letter is for you and me. Amen? Because we call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So he says, look, what I'm writing is not just for the church in Corinth. It's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's for you and me. So, yeah, read it. Let's find out what he had to say. Right? 
Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. As believers, God has extended grace and peace. So let's say it. Let's affirm it. I have received grace and peace from God my Father. Now what is grace? Sometimes we'll use it as names of people. That's fine. But grace refers to what God gives freely to us. It includes favor. It includes empowering. It includes gifts. It includes virtues. God's own virtues. So when, when, when Paul is saying grace, it means God is giving you. God has extended to you freely His favor. His empowering to do whatever He's called you to do. His, um, his gifts, His virtues are given to you. Grace. And peace. The word peace, in, 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 as far as the Bible is concerned, it's not just a state of mental tranquility. But peace, as far as the Bible is concerned, is complete well-being. Wholeness. Everything. Socially, emotionally, financially, every way. Everything going well. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. So as a believer, you need to affirm that I have received grace and peace. God has extended grace and peace to me as a believer in Jesus Christ. The next section, verses 4 through 9, Paul recognizes what God has done. He's thanking God for what God has done in the lives of these Corinthian believers, right? So he's got seven years of history. Or seven, he knows, okay, over seven years, these things have happened in the life of the Corinthian church. Now, the fact of the matter is, he's writing this episode in order to address a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. That's what actually prompted him to write. So he is going to be addressing several issues in, uh, that, uh, that are happening. Things that are not right in the Corinthian church. But look at how he begins. He doesn't start by grumbling. Oh, you Corinthians. <laughs> no. He starts out by giving thanks for the things God has done in their lives. Look at how he writes there, verses 4 through 9. I thank my God always concerning you. Now, we would have said a letter, man, I'm really upset about you guys. <laughs> That's not how Paul starts out. He says, I thank my God concerning you. Now we acknowledge all that God has done for the grace of God, which is given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as a testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to emphasize this point here, that Although Paul is actually getting ready to address all the mess that is happening in the Corinthian church, he begins by giving thanks. Tell a neighbor, that's a revelation. <laughs> no matter what messes are going on in your life and in mine, there are things we can be thankful to God for. 
Amen. Things he's done. So start out by thanking God. I mean, you're, I know we have to pray about the issues. I know we have to talk to God about the issues. But before you get to it, thank him for the things he has already done. That's what Paul is doing here. I thank my God. And he lists different things. The good things he has seen happen in the Corinthian church because of the grace of God. And he says, I thank my God, verse 4, for the grace of God which was given to you. Everything that has happened and is happening in you Corinthians is really an expression of the grace of God. And I thank my God for the grace of God that was given to you through Jesus Christ. Amen. God's grace extended to us. Now, we must understand as believers that God has given grace to us. Every believer has received the grace of God. God's unmerited favor, uh, his, his lavish uh, extension of empowering, of gifts, uh, and of his virtues. It's given to all of us as believers. It's yours. But I also want to point out that some of us, or all of us, have what we will call as special grace. Each one of us has special grace. What does it mean? You know, there are some people, they can sing. If I try it, no grace. <laughs> so that's not, or I should put it like this, there is no special grace in that area. But there is special grace given in some other area. But each one of us has received not only what we refer to as the general grace of God that is given to everyone who believes in Christ, but each one of us has received special grace on your life to enable you, to empower you to do something unique or different. Which not everyone, it's not just something that God gives everybody. It's given to you. You have special grace on your life. Each one of us. And as a church, there is grace upon us as a church. And there is special grace upon us as a church. There are certain things that happen or that are happening through us in our city and across our nation because of the grace of God. You recognize that. It's not that every church would do that. But why is it happening through us? Because of special grace. And like that, there are grace that God has extended special grace over every local church, every ministry, every minister, and over every believer. There's, God has gifted you and graced you in certain ways that, that make you, you. Amen? So, recognize that. Thank God for that. Don't take it for granted. The grace that's on your life. Don't take it for granted. Be thankful for it. And that's what Paul is doing. I thank God for the grace which is given to you. Then he continues in verse 5. That you were enriched. What does the grace of God do for us? That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. So he says, look, you have been enriched by him. The word enriched simply means made wealthy. In every, in every sense of the word. Whether it's financially, physically, any, every sense of the word. You have been enriched by him in how many things? In all so let's affirm that. Let's say this together. As a believer, I have been enriched in everything by Jesus Christ because of the grace of God. 
given to me. Affirm that. I've been enriched. You've been enriched by him. So in areas where you thought you weren't doing so good, now you expect to do good because he has enriched you. Are you with me? You've been enriched by him, by his grace. You've been enriched by him. In, air, in everything, in all things. Then he points out something very interesting. In all utterance and knowledge. Now this utterance and knowledge is actually referring to the gifts of the spirit. Because it, you know, it's actually one sentence broken down into uh, five, four or five verses there. Because later on in verse 7 he talks about that you come short in no gift. So the understanding of the sentence there is, you've been enriched by him in all things, in all utterance, all vocal gifts, and in all knowledge, all revelation gifts. Vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy. Uh, revelation gifts, word of, no word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirit. He says, you've been enriched by him in all things, including in the expression of these gifts, the vocal gifts and the revelation gifts. You're with me so far? Right? Because it's been broken up in, in, in verses, it doesn't fall in place. But if you continue reading through, you'll see that. Verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed to you. The testimony of Christ refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word testimony simply means witness. It's the same word that is translated, you know, Jesus said, you are my witnesses. Or uh, same root word in Acts 1.8, you are my witnesses. So even as the witness of Christ, they came bringing the gospel of Jesus that was a testimony of Christ. It says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed, made secure, made firm, unshakable in you. So Paul is saying, I'm recognizing God's grace on you. I'm recognizing the fact that you've been enriched in everything, even in the expression of these gifts. And I'm so glad that the gospel of Christ, when it was brought to you, was made firm. It didn't fall on deaf ears. It produced in you. Are you with me? The testimony, the gospel of Christ was confirmed in you. It was established in you. Verse 7, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, this church, you come short in no gift. Can you imagine? He's writing to this church and he's saying, guys, you've got all the gifts in abundance. It's, it's happening through all of you. You come short in no so, here's a messy church, but a church having wonderful expressions of the Holy Spirit. Two insights. First, our messes will not necessarily hinder the Holy Spirit from manifesting. Amen? Because we are all works in progress anyway. If you want to be perfect, see you on, on the other side of the pearly gates. <laughs> But as long as we are on this side of the pearly gates, we are still works in progress. There are going to be still some messes around. But the messes don't stop the manifestations of the Spirit. So that's what he's telling the church. You come short in no gift. Amen? And then here's the other thing this church is doing here. They are waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means they are ready. They are getting ready. They are expecting Jesus to come back. But going back to the same point about the gifts of the Spirit. The other insight is this. Paul, all of this church had the expressions of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's very, you know, in chapter 3, he calls them, he says, you are babies in Christ. You are babies. So, you need to understand this, that the expression of the gifts of the Spirit are not to be equated to spiritual 
maturity. Are you getting it? The expression of the gifts of the Spirit are not to be equated with spiritual maturity. Your spirituality and your spiritual maturity are two different things. You, you, you know, your, your spirituality, your, spirit, your, your ability to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, your ability to manifest the gifts of the Spirit, that's just you being yielded to Him. Great. Manifesting Him. But maturity requires growth. Are you understanding? Because these, to the same church that He tells you don't lack any spiritual gift, He goes, and goes on to call them your spiritual babies. In chapter 3. So let's keep that in perspective. Verse 8. Who will also, again, very interesting. He's continuing on with that same thanksgiving statement. So he said, thank my God that you received grace and so on. And verse 8, he says, when Jesus Christ comes, he says, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Confirm means to make secure and make firm till the end. He's saying, I'm thanking God that he will keep you till the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now put this in context. To whom is he saying this? To a church that has sin going on? To a church that has division and strife and all of that? And to them he is saying, here's my confidence that he will keep you firm to the end and present you blameless when Christ comes. Amen? So, this tells us something. Even though people are going to go, are going to go, going to go through difficult times in life and you know all those things you don't write them off are you listening he didn't write off the corinthian church man i wasted 16 18 months of my life working amongst you and look where you are no he said i'm thankful to god that god's going to keep you firm to the end and he's going to present you blameless in the day of the lord even though right now there's a lot of stuff going on are you understanding? And that's the way we got to pray. When we pray, we pray with the end in sight. That in the end, the people we are praying for, no matter what they're going through, God, they are going to be firm. They're going to be standing. They are going to be blameless. We're not ignoring the challenge, the present challenge, but we are praying with an eye on the future. And that's how Paul is praying for the Corinthian church. Verse 9. Are you with me so far? Or? Yes. Verse 9, and why does Paul have this confidence? Because God is faithful. So let's all say this, say that God is faithful. So because God is faithful, he says, I know you're going to be kept blameless. I know you're going to make it because God is faithful. God is faithful. And then he tells us something about the life we are called to live as believers. He says, verse 9, by whom? You were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this is what all of us have been called. So tell your neighbor, you're called. You know, someone said, I don't feel called. Hey, you're called. Verse 9 says, you are called. You have been called. And what are we, all of us, called to? He says, you were called to fellowship. That word fellowship is a very interesting Greek word, koinonia. It means partnership, friendship, 
communion, intimacy, closeness. So we were called to friendship, partnership, intimacy, uh, communion, closeness. With whom? With the Lord himself. In another place, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul says, we are called to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 1, 3, John says, we are called to fellowship with the Father and with the Son. So put it all together. You and I as believers, our calling is to come into a place of partnership, communion, friendship, and intimacy with the Godhead. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what you're called to. You're called to come into that place of friendship with God, of closeness with God, of being a partner with God. So whatever you do on earth, you're doing it as a partner with the Godhead. Amen? So he says you've been called into fellowship with the Lord, with the Son, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. So that's your calling as a believer. That's our calling as believers, to grow in fellowship with God. Are you with me? So we, we, you know, why do you take time to read the Bible? Why do you take time to pray? Why do you take time to come to church? Why do you take time to worship together? Because we are all called to grow in this fellowship with our God. To come into a place of greater intimacy, greater friendship, greater uh, communion, greater partnership with our God. We call to that. And we are responding to that call. We are saying yes to that call. That's why we come together to worship and we do all of these things. Amen? So after he has done that, he gets right down to business. Verses 10 to 17. The next section, which is a call to unity. The first issue Paul is addressing with the Corinthian church is the issue of unity. And I'll, read, I'll just read the whole passage, verses 10 through 17. Please follow along with me in your Bibles. Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means I'm doing it on behalf of Christ. I'm doing it in His name. I'm not doing it just by my own authority. I'm doing it by the authority that Jesus has given me. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. That you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So I'm pleading with you guys. Speak the same thing. Let there be no divisions. Be perfectly joined in the same mind, the same judgment. I'll continue on. Verse, I'll read the whole passage. Verse 11. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas or Peter, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Look at verse 10. Say, brethren, this is what I want. This is what God desires. This is what Jesus desires for you. As a community people, we should be a people who speak the same thing. We should, there should be no division. The word division simply means tearing apart. 
There should be no divisions amongst us. We should be perfectly joined together. It's, it's a medical term there. When, when it's talking about reference, referring to a, when a bone is broken, it had to be put back together. So when it's put back together, it has to be perfectly joined together. So, so I want you to be like that. I want, we should be perfectly joined together. We should be of the same mind, perceiving and understanding, feeling, judging, determining things the same way. And he says of same judgment, meaning same view or opinion. So this is what we should be like. Now, Paul, us, all people's church. You know, that's not going to happen here. No, that's what Jesus wants for his church. Amen? That we all learn to say the same thing. So, what were they saying? One was saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. So what was it that was causing problems there? You see, God does each leader, each church, each ministry has their own distinctive. So let's just go down. Um, okay, what was, let's go to the next slide, please. Yeah, what was causing divisions uh, in, the, in the church? People were taking sides. I'm a Paul, I'm a Apollos, I belong to Peter. Now, next slide. Each leader, each church, each ministry has their own distinctive according to the grace God's given to them. Each one, right? Because God has graced us all differently. Now, we receive as believers, we receive through their lives. But we must understand, for all of us, our identity is only in Jesus. It's not in the person who ministered to you. The person who ministered to you was just somebody God used in your life. Whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter. But your identity is in Jesus. And if all of us understand that we can all speak the same thing. We will not be saying I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. But we will all say I belong to Jesus. Are you with me? So as believers, we can learn to say the same thing concerning the things of God, concerning who we are as people of God. We can learn to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It, it, it's, it's work. But we must learn to do that. We have the same mind together. And that's what Paul is asking for in the Corinthian church. And then he sums it up by saying in verse 17... You know, this is the real thing. Focus on the real thing. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel. So that's the main thing. It's not who God used. Thank God he will use different people. But our identity is not in them. What's the main thing? The main thing is the gospel. It says, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel. And what is the gospel? He says there in verse 17, it's the message about the cross of Christ. What is the gospel? It's the message about the cross of Christ. That's the gospel. It says, Jesus sent me to preach the gospel, which is the message about the cross of Christ. And he says, I don't use human wisdom to preach that. 
I don't use, I don't depend on human wisdom. I am not saying that you shouldn't speak well. Because if you don't speak well, people won't listen to you. I'm not saying you and I shouldn't be, try to, you know, be educated or be learned and all that. But our dependence is not on human wealth. Why? Because you and I must understand that the gospel, the power of the gospel is inherent in the message of the cross. And it has no dependence on human eloquence. People don't get saved because you had a brilliant presentation. People get saved because the power is in the message of the cross. Amen? We must understand. So, the next few verses are pos the possibly the greatest set of verses concerning the cross of Jesus Christ. The message of the cross. You don't find it in, elsewhere in Paul's episode. So if you have slept through this, please wake up. <laughs> if you get this section, that's great. The message of the cross. Verses 18 to 25. This is what Paul has to say about the message of the cross. So he's already, he's already introduced to the believers, the Corinthians, saying, guys, don't fight about whose name and so on. Focus on the gospel. The gospel is the message of the cross. You don't depend on human words to proclaim it. It's powerful. It is the power of God. So now what does he say about the message of the cross? Very, very powerful. Verses 18 to 25. 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross. Is the power of God. So just to wake your neighbor up. Tell them the message of the cross. Is the power of God. You see. When you share the message of the cross. You are actually administering the power of God to somebody. Think about it. When you share the message of the cross. You are actually bringing the power of God into somebody's life. Because the message of the cross is the power of God. Are you listening? It's very important. That simple message of the cross is the power of God being made available to the person you are sharing about the cross, about the message. God's power. Now, it may sound foolishness. He addresses that. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So he's saying, you know, the world has its wise people. The scribe. The, 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 the disputers, the, the debaters, uh, they, can, they have wisdom. But you know what Paul says? The world through wisdom did not know God. That means through the wisdom of this world, you cannot comprehend and understand God. It comes through the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. He explains this in chapter 2. And we'll get into this next, next Sunday. He explains this. 
in chapter 2. That it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to understand the things of God. So he says the world by wisdom, the world has its wise people, the disputers, the debaters, the scribes and so on. But they cannot understand the wisdom of God. The world by wisdom did not know God. And then he says in verse 21. Are you with me so far? Verse 21. Notice this. It pleased God. This is what God's happy about. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It pleased God. God is happy about this. That through this foolish approach, this foolish method of preaching the message of the cross, he's going to save people. God chose this. He chose this foolish thing, foolish method. Just share the message of the cross. Share the message. Share the message of the cross. God has chosen. It pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So when you and I share the message of the cross, we look fools like fools. We look foolish, but hey, God is saying, go, boy, go. <laughs> it pleases God. This is what God is pleased about. Are you understanding? It pleased God that you and I would do something foolish, like preaching the message of the cross to save people. God decided, this is how I'm going to do it. The world can call it foolish, but God chose to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Verses 22 to 24, Paul addresses an audience issue. He says, The Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. So the Jews are very spiritual people. They want signs. They want something supernatural. You remember many times the Jews came to Jesus and says, Jesus, what sign will you show us? Show us a sign from heaven. I mean, move the cloud. Send an airplane to the cloud or something. You know, what sign will he show us in heaven? So the Jews want something that demonstrates power. That is supernatural. The Greeks are intellectuals. They want something they can think about for many days. The Greeks seek after wisdom. So Paul is saying, look, this is the audience we have. We have people who want power. We want people who want wisdom. So the Jews seek after uh, request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. Verse 22. But we preach Christ crucified. We have only one message. We have the same message to the Jews and the Greeks. We have the same message to those who are seeking signs and those who want something intellectual. Just one message. It's the message of the cross. Are you listening? Only one message. To the Jews and to the Greeks. Only one message. We preach Christ crucified. He says, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. I mean, to these people who want power, it's a sign of weakness. A, what, what power is here? This is, you're talking about somebody who died on the cross. It's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it is foolishness. What do you mean? 
Somebody dying on the cross for me 2,000 years ago. But, verse 24, to those who are called, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This message of the cross, as he said earlier, it is the power of God. It is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This message of the cross. It's the power of God and the wisdom of God. It will touch the life of the Jew and the Greek. Those who want something powerful, those who want something intellectual, for both of them, they give only one message, the message of the cross of Christ. And this message is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Are you with me? So that's why you and I can say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed. God has chosen through the foolishness of the message preached to save people, to transform lives, to heal them, to deliver them, to work miracles. Through the foolishness of the message preached. Because when you preach the message of the cross, you are bringing the power of God and you're bringing the wisdom of God into people's lives. Amen? And when they receive it, they will experience the power of God and they will understand the wisdom of God in that message of the cross. So, he says in verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He says, hey, I want you to know something. Even if you, you, know, if you call this foolish, you call this weak, you know what? God's foolishness and God's weakness far exceeds man's highest power and greatest wisdom. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. Stay with this. This is the core, the gospel, the message of the cross of Christ. Amen? Then the last part, we'll, he just says, okay, I want you to understand God's calling. We'll read these last section, we close. Verses 26 to 31. Understand God's calling. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him or because of him. You are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So he's saying, I want you to understand something about how God works. He says, God intentionally takes the weak things of the world. He takes the foolish things of the world. He takes the base things, the valueless things. The unvalued, devalued, non-valued things of this world. He takes things that don't even exist. And by his work, he displays his wisdom and power. Amen? So that no one could glory. Everyone has to say, it is the work of God. Amen? That's how God works. So if you consider yourselves like, I'm foolish, I'm weak. I'm base or worthless, or I, uh, you know, 
nothing's happening in my life. Well, you qualify already. <laughs> you have qualified very well. God works through such people. I'm not saying he doesn't take the highly educated. Paul himself was highly educated. I'm not saying he doesn't work with them. He does. But understand that God intentionally does these kinds of things. In areas where you think you don't have something, that's the area God says, okay, let me reveal my greatness and glory in the area. In the area where nothing exists, he causes something to come forth. Amen? He says, God works like this. And this is a message you can preach a whole sermon on. That God can work through our lives. Where not, there is nothingness, he brings something into existence so that he alone will be glorified. Amen? And how does he do it? He says in verse 30, God takes us and he puts us in Christ. And then he makes Christ to be to us everything. Christ becomes to us wisdom, righteousness, redemption, sanctification, and everything else that we need. So it's not even of our own works. He puts us into Christ and he says, Christ has made to you all this that you need. So that no one could glory before God. Amen. So here's the thing. This has happened to you and me. God has put us in Christ and he's made Christ to be to us everything we need. Now, this is such an important truth. To know that in Christ we are complete. That in Christ we have everything to become what God wants us to become. We have it. That means the three S's. Our search for significance, security and self-worth. Comes from here. From your being in Christ. If you and I can understand that. Counselors will go out of work. They won't have anybody to counsel. Because we've identified, we've recognized that in Christ, in Christ, He's made everything that we need. He becomes all that we need. He's done it. He's put us in Christ and Christ has been made to us wisdom. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption, everything else we need. Amen? And because of that union, because of that work, he says, God will take what is weak, what is foolish, what is worthless, what doesn't even exist, and he will display his glory. Amen? So, Chapter 1, Paul recognizes the grace of God given to all of us. We've been enriched by him in everything. And, uh, you know, there's no need for us to come short in any gift. He says, we have, as, a, as a body of believers, we've got to maintain the unity in the spirit. Maintain that. Your identity is not in any man. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. Thank God for the men and women that he uses in your life to build you up, serve you, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter, fine. But your identity is not in them. Your identity 
is in Jesus. And hold on to the main thing. The main thing is the gospel, which is the message of the cross. And this message of the cross is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And don't be ashamed to share that message of the cross. Because when you are doing it, you are really bringing the wisdom of God and the power of God into people's lives. If they will believe it, they will experience the power of God and they will see the wisdom of God. So don't be ashamed of the message of the cross. And God works in our lives to do unusual, amazing things. And he does it because of our union with Christ Jesus. Amen? Call our worship team up, please. I want you to take a few moments to pray. The word of God has been released to you and me this morning. I want you to pray about the word. God confirms his word. God has magnified his word above his name. That's how highly he esteems his word. It's more important than even his own name. He says, the Bible says. So the word has been released. Now God is watching over his word to perform it. To make it good in your life, in my life. So this morning you haven't just heard a sermon. You heard God's word. And God is watching over that word. To make it good in your life. So I want us to say, God, I want, you, I want us to give our yes and amen to his word. And say, God, I'm receiving this word for me. This is for me. I'm believing it and I want to see the work of God in my life. Amen. So let's please stand to our feet. I want you to take a few moments before we dismiss. Uh, just to pray. And, 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 and you personally receive that word. God, if, if you know, whatever part of that message today spoke to you, talk to God about it. Say, God, I heard that. You give grace and peace to those who believe in you. So God, I want that. I want to walk in grace and peace. God, I heard that, you, uh, that we are enriched in all things. God, I receive that. In this area where I've been struggling, I declare I'm enriched by Him. I'm made strong by Him. God, I heard this morning that my identity is not in a man, but it's in Jesus. Maybe we need to make a shift. Thank God for men and women that he uses, but our identity comes from Jesus Christ. We heard this morning about the message of the cross. It's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. Say, God, I'll not be ashamed of the message of the cross, about the gospel. We heard this morning that God takes the foolish, the weak, the worthless, and the non-existent. He, he comes into those situations. In lives of people. And he does. Amazing things to reveal his glory. Would you welcome him into your life. And say God do it in me. Be glorified in my life. Do it in me Lord. Yes Lord.
Father God, I just pray, even according to your word, I pray over each of our lives that God, our lives will display your power and your wisdom, that our lives will put you on display, that in each and every one of us, you will be glorified. Lord God, that you will move into our lives, our circumstances, our situations, where things seem to be weak, broken, worthless, having no promise. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will move into those circumstances. You will move into those situations. Cause a turnaround. Cause a miracle. Cause your power to be displayed. Cause your wisdom to be put on, put on show, Lord. To be displayed through each of our lives. I pray for a release of the power of your spirit to confirm the word that has been proclaimed in this place over your people. That in each of our lives, in whatever walk of life, in whatever situation we may be in life, let your glory be displayed. And let Jesus Christ be exalted in our lives. Do this, O oh God. And I pray that every heart will be filled with hope, with faith, with expectation to see the works of God coming through in their lives. To see God do amazing things. What eyes have not seen, what ears have not heard, 
what has not yet entered into the heart of man to see such things come forth in our lives. Help us to be people of great faith who believe that you will do through each of us big things, amazing things, great things. Because you have made Christ be our sufficiency, be our portion. And we thank you. And we bless you, Father. Thank you. Before we close this morning, I just want to give an opportunity to, for anyone here with us this morning. If you've never experienced the power of Jesus Christ, if you've never received Jesus into your life, you see the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. He was buried and He rose up again the third day. And He's alive today. As we heard the message of the cross, the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, brings God's power and God's wisdom into our lives. And if you will receive Jesus into your life, your sins will be forgiven. You'll be made a child of God and you'll experience the work of God in you, in your life. So, if there's anyone here this morning who never received Jesus into your life, I want to just give you an invitation, an opportunity to do that. I'm going to say a simple prayer just to help you welcome Jesus into your life. You pray this with me if you've never done this before. Just say this with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you died for me on the cross. And you rose up again. I believe you're alive today. I welcome you into my life. Change me. Make me a child of God. Make me a new person. And help me to follow you. And you alone. The rest of my life. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We want to celebrate with you this morning. If you prayed with me for the very first time. Would you please raise your hand wherever you are. You've never done this before. You did it for the first time this morning. I want to celebrate with you. Just raise your hand if you've done this. Prayed with me this morning. We'd like to see your hand. We'd like to see. I see one hand way back there. Any other hands? God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I need to be taller than everybody to see. All right. Just raise your hand if you've done that. And our greeters right where you, where you are will come to you. They'll give you a green bag or a red bag. It has some free resources in it. There's also a card that says decision card. Please write your name and number and hand it back to them so that somebody from the church office will call you and give you guidance on how to use those free resources that are in the bag. Uh, thank you. Let's close uh, as with a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit continue with each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, TV programs, publications, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, please visit apcwo.org slash Bible College. Please remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the app or Google Play stores.